Welcome to the Mark Copage Podcast Show. Join me each week as we welcome professionals from all areas of entertainment, in front of the scenes and behind, as they give advice and tell stories about their journey. We'll be right back with our first guest. Don't call me Cory Baker, call me Marco Posh. Cause I'm not Julia's son like I was before. Permit me to introduce this man, his name is Mr. Kicks. He dwells in a dark dominion, way down by the river sticks. The devil sent him here because he's full of wicked tricks. And he's such a popular fellow among all you lunatics. Our guest for today is an American jazz recording artist. She has a voice that has been described as being a voice from heaven. She is at the pinnacle of her career with the release of her new album, Round Midnight Reimagined. She has performed for over 30 years at clubs and venues throughout Southern California, as well as special events and festivals in New York and Caesars Palace in Las Vegas. I would like to welcome to the show, Miss Amber Weeks. Amber, how the heck are you? Hi, Mark. I'm great. It's, it's great to connect with you. I'm doing well, despite what we find ourselves in. First of all, I have to say, I am so, uh, uh, I don't know if enthralled is the right word or amazed. I, I just think you are amazing because I remember seeing you, good Lord, maybe 20, 30 years ago at this, uh, at this club in Century City. Yes. And you are still doing it. You know, you, you, you like have never stopped. And that is just very impressive to me. And like I said, I, I correct me if I'm wrong, but you're you're pretty much at the top of your career right now. I mean, I'm hearing you all the time on on K Jazz. Um, I mean, you're getting played with people like Miles Davis and Oscar Peterson and Ella Fitzgerald, and that it just has to send chills up your your spine. I mean, unfortunately. There's not a lot of jazz stations, but which is even more impressive because you have such a small pool of 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 uh, jazz stations that can even play your recording, and you're getting played on them. So that is quite a, a, impressive. Did you know at what age did you know you wanted to make your living as a singer? Well, my whole life, um, somewhere there was a picture of me. I have a feeling over the years it's gotten misplaced, but um, my mother took a picture of me and my sister Dawn standing on our coffee table and, you know, we're both singing, but, you know, I was always the one out front, you know, so I was about four. So I think my whole life, I, I knew that this was what I was destined to do. And I've, I've continued to do it all of this time. Um, certainly done other things in my life, but um, consistently have always sung and just was determined that this was going to be how I lived my life. And so that's what I'm doing. And yes, I'm absolutely thrilled to be, um, to have my music played on the radio and to be interviewed like I am with you and um, starting to sort of prepare for touring whenever touring happens. 
and um, it, it's 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 quite validating. It, it really is, and I'm I'm honored that stations not only across the country but across the world like my work enough that I'm I'm getting airplay. It's it's really exciting. It's really exciting. How long have you been performing? Well, you said it right. I get. I, it's been. I mean, I'm I'm dating myself by saying so, but it's it's been. It's been a, a little over thirty years. Um, I I studied quite a bit uh, with Phil Moore and his his wife uh, Jeannie Moore, who's now Jeannie Paisano. Phil Moore died some years ago, and Jeannie remarried. And then I've I've gone on to study with. Yeah, a number of different voice coaches. I started with Katherine Hansen, worked with Sue Fink, and I've been working with Sue Rainey for the last 20 years. So, yeah, <laughs> we'll say most of my life. How's that? <laughs> that sounds good to me and sounds uh, accurate. And why did you start singing? Well, it's, it's, it's difficult to, to say why. Um, I've always been around music. Both of my parents sang. Um, my mother was more of like a, a classically trained soprano. And she was, until she had my sisters and me, she was a choir soloist in church. And then my father also was a soloist in church, but daddy actually sang in nightclubs in New York and also while he was in the service during the Korean War. And he was a big Frank Sinatra clone. And in addition to that, my my parents' friends were all audiophiles, if not musicians. And so I was always around it and always wanted to be part of it. And so even as a little girl, I... <laughs> what was the first song that you learned by heart? And, and how old were you? Oh, good grief. Uh, I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember. I mean, what, what I can tell you is the first song that I sang um, solo in front of an audience was um, Summertime from Porgy and Bess. Hmm, okay. And how old were you then? 14. Can you tell us something about your connection to New York and, and most particularly Harlem? Sure, um, that's easy. Both of my parents actually grew up in Harlem. My father was born and raised in Harlem and um, my mother emigrated from Jamaica after uh, World War II. And um, so from the time she was eight, she was raised in Harlem. So you know, both sides of my family, big ties to Harlem. My father, a little bit more so. My mother's, my mother's childhood was very, very sheltered. My, my grandparents, my great-grandparents were very protective of her. But daddy, on the other hand, I think part of it too was he was a boy. Um, but in addition to that, my grandparents, um, Nettie and Wilfred Weeks, owned Weeks's Luncheonette, which was at the corner of 155th and St. Nicholas Avenue in the Sugar Hill uh, area of New York, or of Harlem. And so in, in the diner, which was like a lunch counter, but it was open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And um, 
it was it was around the corner from where Duke Ellington, Lena Horn, Billy Strayhorn, and a lot of other folks, Sonny Rollins, and um, some others right now I can't recall, lived close to that, uh, lived close to the luncheonette and frequented it a lot. Um, in addition, Diane Carroll um, came through when it's when my grandparents had a candy store before it was a luncheonette and, and she used to buy candy in the candy store. And she was also one of your musical inspirations as well. Yes, absolutely. Diane Carroll. Yes, she sure was. There's, there's no question about that. Um, so my father told us a lot of stories about what Harlem was like. And I was fortunate enough when I was first born um, we actually lived in an apartment building and two of the four units were occupied by friends of my father from New York. And so it was kind of like I grew up in Harlem. I was born into Harlem <laughs> and um, the artistic expression and, and um, the history of that very important place in, in um, American history. So these legendary jazz performers visited your grandparents' luncheonette on a frequent basis. Yes. Was there a piano in there or anything like that? Did you get to hear any any of them ever uh, sing live or play live? Well, I never visited the luncheonette unless I did when I was about two. Oh, okay. So I, I, I grew up here in LA. Mm -hmm. um, but there wasn't a there wasn't a piano. It wasn't that kind of place. It was really it really was a lunch counter. Right, right. Um, but my father um, repeatedly told me a very amusing story because unlike California, well, California, Los Angeles is becoming more like New York, and that we're getting a lot of mixed use spaces. But in New York, mixed use spaces have been you know the, the way of the world forever. And so, for instance. Um, where the luncheonette was, there were apartments above it. So Count Basie's band came in one night and another band, and I don't remember who the leader was, and the jukebox was playing and the band members were going back and forth about what instrument was playing the solo. And um, it was the middle of the night and my father worked the overnight shift at, at the luncheonette. And daddy said that all of the, like one musician, played the solo on like whatever was a clarinet or a saxophone. And then, you know, the guy from the other band played it on the saxophone and they went back and forth. And then everybody pulled out their, their instruments and they had one big jam session hmm. and uh, the cop came in, it was like two in the morning. And the cop looked at my father and said, Marty, this is ridiculous. You have two hours to knock it off, <laughs> you know? But the music, Daddy said the music was just so great that the cop didn't have the heart to stop them, though it was keeping people awake upstairs. <laughs> That's a great story. What what a different time. I mean, if if just things could be handled that simply these days. Harlem was such an important um, piece of the tapestry of my history. Um, and my father died almost five years ago. And so the album I released this year around Midnight Reimagined was a celebration of the stories my father told. And so 
I framed it as like a, a, a series of vignettes of different characters during a summer night in Harlem. And the album actually starts with the tune Hazel's Hips, which is a song about a waitress. And it's my tribute to my grandparents' diner. It's also a celebration of the romance between my aunt Dolores and Sidney Poitier, who was um, a patron of the restaurant. And he met my aunt Dolores while she was a student at Hunter College. And they dated and were engaged. And my grandmother was very concerned that my aunt would be um, supporting some unknown actor huh. and she did everything she could to tear up the, the relationship. Um, so they didn't get married. Otherwise I'd be telling you, but Sidney Poitier was my uncle. Um, but they remained friends until my aunt died. Hmm. Well, that's a great, great story. So, uh, she, she was with him before he got famous. Before yes. he became a famous actor. Yes. I mean, he was already acting, I believe, because he describes the relationship pretty thoroughly in his book, This Life, the first memoir that he did. So you have this you have this thing that you do on your channel or your Facebook page. I know your Facebook page. Maybe you have it some other places, too. Yes. Uh, called Sunday Night Lullaby. Can you tell us what was your inspiration for that? Sure. So... Um... I've taken a little bit of a break. I'm going to resume in about two weeks, but um, with the pandemic and everybody being separated and not being able to perform live the way that I wanted to, I had some friends who kept reaching out to me and asking me to do something um, just to, to cheer them up. And I was interviewed by um, Joe Dimino, who has a show called Neon Jazz. And is this a podcast or? A po uh, yeah, or? yes, yes, it's a podcast. So he he wanted to know like what I was going to do during the pandemic. And so in in my conversation with him and thinking about the request of my friends, I just decided that like every Sunday at 8.45, I'd pop up live on, um, on Facebook and, and deliver a song. And, it, and I just called it the Sunday Night Lullaby. Um, initially, I was singing everything a cappella. And um, I, I'd show up with Winnie the Pooh and sit on the guest bed in the bed in the bed in my guest bedroom and just sing a song. And then over time, I just, people started asking me to do more. So, so then I started singing to tracks and um, I sang to the tracks of the albums that I've recorded over the last year and a half. And um, I, it's fun because it gave me a chance because in the throes of the pandemic, I was here by myself and feeling very isolated. And it was wonderful to be able to engage with people live and, and to have people you know, put in a comment and say hello. And, and, and when I stopped doing it, a lot of my friends called and requested that I resume. So I'm, I'm thinking about how to do that best because I want to keep it fresh and I don't want to be um, boring and I want to, <laughs> I want to be creative with it. Mm -hmm. 
I'm sure you'll think of different ways to evolve that whole concept. I'm, and I know that you've brought a lot of healing to a lot of people's lives. What made you decide to go the jazz route instead of something more commercial where it's probably more profitable like pop, soul, or R&B music? That's a really good question. Uh, I think part of it is that jazz, jazz was what I heard most as as a kid we listened to everything and my mother was determined that we would know everything and um so we listened to classical music and we listened to we listened to rock my parents had the beatles and we listened to the beatles and we listened to i don't know what else of course old school r&b and um country music but I, I think part of it was we were around jazz musicians um, and my parents' friends were into jazz. And so we would have evenings at home when I was very small and my, you know, those, those two other couples that lived in this apartment building that we lived in um, on St. Elmo Drive. It would be Saturday night and everybody would be in our apartment because my parents had kids and the others didn't. And um, they would sit and they would like, they play records because that's what people in that era did. They play records, they talk about them and it was all jazz, you know? And even as we, as we got older, unfortunately my parents split up, but it was the same thing. I mean, so now in two houses, you know, or like my dad's friends and my mom's friends, everybody's listening to jazz. And so it's, 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 it's become the water that I swim in and, and I appreciate other genres. And um, in fact, have been recently closely connected to um, a progressive rock producer and, and uh, guitarist. Hmm. Uh, We don't, we don't do any work together yet, but I have an appreciation for what he does but it's just not you. I mean, you won't hear me singing "Stairway to Heaven," though I really hate <laughs> <appreciate> the song. <laughs> well, you're of Caribbean background, and I believe Latin as well. Yes, I am. What's I your am. racial your racial mix? Well, that's an interesting question. To I, so, what I would say is, when people ask me what my race is, my answer is always that I am a black woman. Um, but like, if you look at ancestry, um, my ancestry profile, it's like 52% African and 48% from the United Kingdom. What doesn't show up is my grandfather's roots, which is really interesting. My mother's father is half or was, he's gone half Mexican and and half Jamaican. Um, My grandfather was born in Veracruz, Mexico, and his first language was Spanish. Hmm, Interesting. Do you, uh, could we perhaps see some Latin jazz uh, projects coming up from you anytime in the future? That's not outside of the realm of possibility. Um, The I, I, actually, all three of the albums I've released in the last year and a half do have some kind of Latin component. Um, Round Midnight Reimagine has both Summer Samba, which is like a Brazilian kind of feel. And um, 
What's the other one? Oh yeah, uh, Around Midnight, which also is, it's kind of a bossa bolero sort of feel. Um, I'll Be Home for Christmas has a Latin feel that's on my Christmas album, The Gathering. And then um, Pure Imagination has a bossa version of When October Goes on it. Hmm. So to do an all Latin jazz album that that's a possibility <laughs> well i'm sure a lot of people would love to hear hear that i mean there is a large uh spanish-speaking latin population are you uh you don't even necessarily have to be fluent in spanish to sing a spanish album um is that something that uh you would be comfortable doing like singing in spanish I would think so, that your ear is good enough where you could actually pick it up. I mean, Justin Timberlake, I think, did an album in Spanish, and I don't believe he speaks Spanish. Yes. Well, I my Spanish is a nightmare. <laughs> um, but you got a good so, ear, though. Thank you. Well, well, the other part of it is, fortunately, I know enough people who are fluent in Spanish that I think I could get a lot of coaching in that area. Um, so who knows? It's it it's possible my what's interesting is that my mother and I don't know if it's because she was an immigrant herself she really was more interested in my sister Dawn and I learning French because my father had a sister who left the United States um, as a very young woman and and she wound up ultimately living in France. And my mother's dream was that we were going to spend time with our cousins in France. And so she wanted us to be able to communicate with them in French in the same way that they were able to communicate with us in English. Um, so she really, that was my mother's desire. Um, by the time my sister Nicole got into school, um, my mother changed her mind. And so Nicole is actually, my sister Nicole is actually fluent in Spanish. Hmm. Interesting. Do you have any memories of Sugar Hill? Everybody thinks I'm a New York transplant because I guess I have some of that vibe. And then having two New Yorker parents and then being surrounded by New Yorkers, like primarily. Um, I don't really have any memories of New York. My parents took me when I was very, very small. Mm -hmm. And I really don't remember. I certainly have um, more memories of it as an adult because I've, I've been to New York several times to see my cousins. And, and um, my aunt, while she was alive, and uh, my uncle, so I don't, I couldn't, I couldn't what tell you. Is the whole kind of mystique since you have been there as an adult and you have some family that lives there. What is, I mean, it's kind of got a certain mystique to it, doesn't it? Sugar Hill. Oh yeah, I think so. I mean, it, it was a special place, you know, given the time and, and historically what blacks have gone through in this country you know, it's it's a fallacy to believe that racism and lynchings didn't occur in the North because they did. It was certainly less frequent and you didn't have the same type of history of, of enslaved Africans in um, the Northern part of the United States. But New York itself was a place 
where at least it was safer for for black people to be hmm. because of that i think it was just it was an it was an easier place to gather and um there was a little more room for things like a black couple to own a, a luncheonette that's still know? pretty amazing that your grandparents at that time owned their own business yeah, what I came, you know, it's funny the things that you take for granted. Um, I just presumed that like every other establishment in Sugar Hill was black owned. And what I've learned in talking to one of my father's friends since my father passed away is that my grandparents' luncheonette was actually one of the few black owned businesses in the Sugar Hill area. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. So I just think, though, that, you know, when you're when you live in a world where you know that most people are not going to accept you. And you have at least some freedom to live in a place and create a place where you're going to get support and find like-minded people. That's how a community gets established. And I, I think that Sugar Hill just happened to be one of those places. Hmm. Well, you have enjoyed a long career and you have many more years of a wonderful career ahead of you. What kind of things do you do to take care of your voice? Well, um, usually I exercise. COVID's kind of changed a lot of thing about a lot of things about my habits, but exercise is really important. Getting a lot of rest is very important. Um, vocalizing is also essential. And um, how often do you vocalize? Just about every day. Hmm. Just about every day. I'm not perfect at it. I didn't. I didn't vocalize yesterday, and I'm vocalized today yet. Hmm. These but are exercises I, you came up with, or or one of your coaches. My coach, um, Sue Rainey, who is a three-time Grammy nominee and an amazing singer, and and under underappreciated and noticed. Um, she actually puts me, I, I see her usually once a week. And um, I've actually recorded the vocal exercises that she's given me. And so I'll pick up my phone and just, you know, stand somewhere in my house. Usually it's in my, my piano room, which is also my office. Um, and um, I vocalize for about half an hour. Um, not as much as I should, but I will, um, you know, rehearse a song that I know, uh, usually one that has a wide range on it so that I make sure that inside of vocalizing, I've stretched my muscles the way that they need to be stretched um, without straining them. I mean, I think one of the things that people don't realize is that the voice is, you know, has muscles attached to it. And 
it is a physical activity. And so just like someone who runs a marathon or a professional dancer, um, you have to keep those muscles toned, otherwise they atrophy. And then you wind up having problems and not being able to do what you want, or I can't do what I want and have the command over my voice that, that I, I've come to appreciate. Hmm. You mentioned your vocal coach being underappreciated. Yes. I have worked with so many people over the years, very talented people. Some of them make it, some of them don't. Yes. What is, why do you think that is? I mean, in spite of how talented someone can be, that's no guarantee that they're going to have the have or enjoy the kind of success that that is deserved of their talent. Oh, that's a great question. I have to I have to think about that a little bit. Um, some of it, I think, is timing. Um, some of it is timing and and where you are, you know, location and time. I, I think that's that's a big piece of it. I mean, I think honestly that Sue came along at a time like just before, before Barbara Streisand. And um, I, I think that Streisand may have eclipsed Sue just a little bit. So they both that's my guess. style. They do, they do. And in fact, um, Sue did a tour with Michelle Legrand. And of course, Barbara Streisand had worked early on with Michelle Legrand. Um, and very, I would say their styles are very, very similar. I mean, they don't sound, they don't sound alike. I mean, if you hear Sue's voice, you know it's Sue's voice and you know, obviously Barbara Streisand's voice. But I think they were just similar enough hmm. that oh, um, that Barbara Streisand just kind of eclipsed Sue. That's that's just my best guess. I've never really asked Sue about it. Mm -hmm. um, I believe I heard that Barbara Streisand's sister is a wonderful singer too, and that could perhaps be the reason we have not heard much from her sister because they sound too similar, and Barbara Streisand kind of cornered the market on what she does right yeah and Rosalind Kind is several years younger than Barbara Streisand mm -hmm. Hmm. so and they now they sound very much alike 